I planned to go to law school after I graduated, but uh, looks like my folks won't have enough money to put me through college. Well, the world needs ditch diggers, too. Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans. Then I became the CEO man. Are you ready to be mentored by some of the best minds in entrepreneurship in the world? Then you're listening to the right podcast, Ditch Digger CEO. We're going to be interviewing CEOs and founders who will be telling their amazing, rags to riches stories. These entrepreneurs who dominate the industries they serve will be sharing the secrets to their success. We'll be talking to millionaires and billionaires. Many who started with nothing. You're going to be mentored with golden nuggets of shared experiences from my guest, whose time is worth thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars per hour. I started in the paving business right out of high school. And with no college education, mentorship has been my education of choice. I started over 25 companies in the last 20 years, have generated over $1.5 billion in revenues. My guarantee is this. If you listen to Ditch Digger CEO and you want to be more successful, you will become more successful. The secrets of my success and for many of the world's greatest business leaders will be revealed. Let Ditch Digger CEO mentor you. Here we are today with another Ditch Digger CEO. I'm not even sure what number this is and I don't care because this one could be looked at as number one. This one could be number one, Q. This, uh, this buddy of mine I've been trying to get on for since the beginning. That's true. But he's so doggone busy, right? He's got the surfing life, right? He's got the, you know, the California uh, philanthropic world and Chicago. He's in, involved in pretty heavy. And then uh, he, still, he still has a lot to do with this cool company that we're sitting at today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. NCSA. So uh, it's tough to get a hold of this guy, but we got him, man. We, we, we did got get him. him. We so, did get him on one of the hottest days in Chicago. What we're going to do is bring the heat to you all through your ears, all right? So just be ready because this man is phenomenal, seriously. I'm so excited. I actually had the opportunity to do a tour of his – and to see the culture that he created. And, he, I mean, he, he kind of started it. It's just phenomenal to see and the excitement that he's doing and the, and the legacy that he's live, um, leaving. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Seriously, I'm excited. It's awesome. And, and uh, you know, things I think you'll learn today for those listeners is, uh, you know, what, what a vision really looks like uh, for, from, a, from a person that, that's got uh, some creativity, uh, loves entrepreneurship, um, can, can present the vision to a team, yeah. a very small team, and execute on the vision to create a very big team. In a space, okay, very often when I look at businesses and entrepreneurship, I'm constantly looking at the market cap, the size of the market cap. How big is that industry? How, if we start in that industry, how big is it? And if I got 5% of that industry or that business did that I might be investing in, you know, what, is it, what does it come out to, right? So here's a guy that kind of built his own market cap. You know, when, I, when, when I met Chris, he was, he was, he was a maybe seven, $8 million business, and he's, t- he's telling me this vision of 40, 50, 100 million in revenues he could do. And I'm asking, like, well, what size is this industry? And he goes, well, it's just kind of what I do, and maybe a few others do it, but it's, there's not really a big market cap, right? There's nothing really besides what him and a few were doing in it. So I was like, man, how, how, how do you have a vision to, to actually build this industry? And that's what he's done. So that's what I really want people to listen to, right, the, how, how you can have a vision for an industry that's not even there, and then, mm. and, then, and then execute on that vision and create an industry 
maybe that isn't even there in some cases. That this doesn't happen very often, right? I mean, Ray Kroc did this in McDonald's, and 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 we're trying to do this in one business that we have currently right now, and it's just not easy. It's yeah. really tough because so, to share your vision, it's a lot easier to share your vision when there's already a big industry that you can say, "Here's the size of the industry. We're going after it. All we need is one or two percent of it, and we're going to be successful," right? But how do you how do you sell a vision when it's not there yet, right? When mm. when there's no industry yet. So okay, that's that's a that's a, probably not enough of an intro yet, but we're going <laughs> to introduce him right now. My buddy Chris Kraus. Chris, welcome, buddy. Oh, thanks for having me, Gary and Q and Chris. It's an honor to be here. Appreciate and we and we got uh, Chris times three here because we got little we got little Chris here. Christopher's here from California with his dad. So welcome to you too, buddy. We'll get you on a little later on the mic. So we got three Chris as our producer. And you two characters. So Q and I were, we're, we're, we're the oddballs. We're the oddballs. Yeah, now. absolutely. All right. So, so what we like to do, Chris, is you know we like to to start from the beginning, right? Uh, and and you're gonna we want you to go through you know your upbringing, how you were raised. Uh, you know, I know a lot a lot about your upbringing and and your your family your family life and and what a great you know family you had, father, mother, you know, family and stuff. So want to talk about that and where you, you know where where did you kind of get this the work ethic you had to to do things you did play college football and all the other cool things so well Gary I've heard, I want to thank you for for what you're doing with this podcast I it's inspiring I've had a chance to listen to a lot of your guests and and every one of them I learned from and and it's just that for me to be uh on along with uh, all the other greats that you've had on is an honor and for this to be available for for people around the, the world to listen to to learn from these new, really incredible smart people who have passion and, and grit and, and work ethics and, and creativity uh, like none other is, is really exciting. And I think, uh, you know, you're doing a, a service for, for this country for entrepreneurship. So thank, thank except you, that they have for you guys for this. Is, Q, I, so Q, for me to be on here is awesome. Q and I are, are having a blast with it. And we, yeah. we, we're learning a lot as we do it too. So it's just a lot of fun. So thank you. Well, you know, taking my, my story is uh you know, I like to think it's a, it's, it comes from it's just like a lot of the other stories. It's you, uh, I come from pretty uh, blue collar background. Um, my my grandparents were Polish immigrants and factory workers up in Waukegan in North Chicago, and and uh, you know we they, my grandfather put on you know got up at three in the morning and would you know go to work at the factory and come back and you know the whole idea was you know work hard get a part be a part of the union you know and they'll take care of you and that was kind of the mindset back then and mm -hmm. and uh, my my grandmother was a orphan and she raised five boys and my father was one of them and they all ended up getting college college educated which in the 40s wow. was was amazing for kids to come out of North Chicago but they did it through hard work you know all of them you know they caddied at Shore Acres Country Club down the street and mm -hmm. carried golf bags and hey, that's don't talk too much about that's my competition <laughs> <laughs> You don't want to talk about how bad they are. That's a, no, it's a great, it's a beautiful place. Well, I caddied there too. I mean, it was like I followed in the footsteps. My grandfather caddied there. Wow. Like, you know, it's like the you know the world needs ditch diggers too. It's like you know, it's like the caddy shack. It was really, it was like kind of a you know the the struggling kid who wanted to go to college, trying to save a few bucks. And, well, Chris, to, just to just to stop there for a second, you know, many of these people, right? You have been have been caddies. I mean, you know, many of the leaders that we've interviewed, that's and a true statement, millionaires and billionaires, many of them have been caddies, and 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 I and I and I tell these stories to the caddies at our golf club at Bull Valley. I'm going to get some plug-in for Bull Valley. Yeah. At Bull Valley, the greatest <laughs> golf club in the world. 
I, I talk to these kids and get them listening as well. But it's fun because they're hearing, you know, caddies are become very successful people. And it's the, it's tell us an example of all the things that you learned as a caddy that carried on too, Chris. Well, you, you know, first of all, you look at it and, and my grandfather made like a buck a loop. And then I remember I, I made like 18 bucks a loop, you know, so then, and then now the kids now are making so much money. So I was like, well, I was like, God, you think about So do a double 36, you know, I would go make 36 bucks times two, 72 bucks. I would get, and plus I'd maybe get a tip on there. I could, yeah, I could almost make a hundred dollars in a day, which yeah. was like, you I would be out there from, you know, six in the morning till six at night, you know, hustling in, you know, 90 degree heat, carrying golf bags, chasing, you know, balls into the weeds. And, you know, it's crazy. But but you learn you learn about uh, hard work, you know, number one, uh, how to how to show up. At, but also, you know, how to you learn how to communicate with people and how to uh, you know, how people treat people. And, you know, some of the guys that were entrepreneurs that were kind of new guys that earned their own money seemed like they were always the guys that would throw you an extra five bucks and the guys this guy named tom joyce who who was one of the coolest guy everybody wanted to, to caddy for him because he was you know, he was a hard-working guy who was self-made but then there would be some other families that you know they, these guys who inherited all their money and they would walk around with their nose up in the air and they were better than everybody so you start to see how people treated people and you're like yeah. i don't want you know i wanted to start i knew how i wanted to be like tom joyce this guy who who, who owned seven up bottling who he was he was yeah. The, one of the coolest guys there and a couple the guys who made were self-made that earned it themselves were always the guys i thought that treated people right mm -hmm. and the people that weren't were usually the guys that you thought that guy's a jerk so so mm -hmm. it, it was a, it was really uh eye-opening for me to start to be around people with wealth and how they treated people and and you could start to form a, an opinion for a vision for who i wanted to be at that early age yeah and if you belong to shore acres then and now it's one of the top 50 golf courses in the in the country of the world it's rated i think at the top in the world actually top 50 or whatever it is in the world and so you're going to have some, some, you know, some great, you know, great people there that were very successful or just came upon wealth, one or the other. And you the armors and Reynolds wrap and all yeah. the old money is, yeah, there was a lot of that there. So, yeah, so you saw a lot of that. You saw a lot of, uh, you know, people that had built something from nothing and you could see how they treated people. The and Donley's, Donley Publishing. Uh -huh. Yeah, there was a caddy for Rick Donley all the time and his wife. And, you know, yeah, that, that was, it was a great experience. So, so, so commu how about communication skills, right? To be able to communicate with all these people and not... You know, for for you as a as a young guy, even when I met you, you had no problem reaching out, shaking hands with anybody anywhere ever, right? And you're right. still like that today. How much of that came from that as well? Because you you're around these big name people, you had a caddy for them, you had to kind of build a relationship with them, right? As a, as a young kid, right? That's a, quite a quite an asset, right? You know, it, it just comes from a lot of uh, you know. Your, how, your, how your dad raised you and your mom raised you and your grandparents and you look them in the eye, stand up, give them a firm handshake, be confident, mm -hmm. smile, you know, say hello, how you doing, Mr. Mrs. You know, it, those, are, those are the hard values that you, you, you learn as a kid and then you, you start to see uh, on the golf course when you do that and they start treating you as, a, as an equal yeah. and they're like, oh, don't call me Mr. Smith, you know, call <laughs> me Bob. Oh, yeah. Bob, now all of a sudden you start to, to, to work on an even playing field with, with guys that are, <laughs> you know, are, 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 are people that you want to emulate, maybe be like someday. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's a great confidence builder. So for Absolutely. you to be able to look someone in the eye and be treated as an equal with a handshake that is firm, equally firm, and you're not shrinking away and you're not, uh, mm -hmm. you're not any better than them and you're not any worse than them, you're equal. And when you, when you feel that way, it, it definitely carries into other aspects of your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's uh, go into that, the rest of that childhood when you, well, your, your mom, dad, how, the, you know, they're, they're, 
the values they taught you. I mean, I, and, and I know a lot of it are, are, are things we're talking about now. But you know, your your dad and mom were yeah. Well, were, were, well, they were they're you know devout Catholics. I went to church on Sundays, and my dad would either say you're either going to work around the house or you're going to go out and get a job. So by the time I was in fifth, sixth grade, I had a paper out, and then I was caddying, and then I was doing everything I could to get out of the house and make money because they made it clear to me that if I was going to go to college, I was going to pay for it. So mm -hmm. they were, you know, they were putting food on the table and and making ends meet, but it wasn't like I had a, a, a college fund. And uh, luckily, uh, you know, sports became a, a big part of my life early in my life. And by the time I was fifth grade, fourth, fifth grade, fourth grade, I started playing football. And I always, and I had a neighbor that was a, a all-state basketball player who went on to play at Illinois. And he became, you know, my my idol. And I wanted to follow the footsteps. And I said, well, Rob Judson, he was a guy who who got a scholarship. And my mom and dad and would encourage me and said, well, maybe someday you could get a scholarship. So I had a goal as a fifth grader that I was going to play football at a major university and then probably go on to play pro someday too was my goal but but the idea was I, I could if I could leverage sports into an education that would put me ahead of the game in terms of being able to get into a, a college and have it paid for and do something I love I love sports so uh, the way my mom and dad kept me focused on sports and were to keep me focused on academics number one mm -hmm. and uh, you know, my dad, you know, they, I got a C on my report card one year and uh, I had to sit out a season. And, wow. And I never got a C again. Wow. What, what year is that? <laughs> that was in seventh grade. Okay. In seventh, luckily, it wasn't football season. It was the fall. It was the spring season. So I had to sit out. It was dance. It was dance. Yeah, I had to sit out. But the shot across the bow was was heard. And I'm like, all right, I know they are serious about me getting good grades. And, yeah. uh, you know, I'd never got to see again and, and really put, I, you know, I knew academics were my way to playing sports mm -hmm. and football so that that way they kept me in line so I got good grades because I was motivated to be able to stay to see the field and then uh and my father also shared you know he you know he was he never missed a game and my mom never missed a game and and uh, my grandfather never missed a game and they were you know really were encouraging but one of the things like as a sixth seventh grader my I'd come at home after a game and I'd say hey dad how'd I play how'd I do and he goes son you know you've had a good game when you don't have to ask me. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and, that, and that stuck with me because it was, by the time I got to high school, I, I started to, you know, I was starting and I got on the varsity and was starting both ways and I was getting to be pretty good and um, get, got interest from college coaches. But by then, after every game, dad would say, son, God, you had a great game. That was awesome. You got a sack and you did this and that and the other. And I'm like, oh, dad, you know what? It's good, but I, I I know where I could have done better. So I was critiquing mm -hmm. myself. So him, you know that that tough love early helped me really frame about you know what good you, you, when you when you do a good job you you don't have to ask them when you know you did a good job. Mm -hmm. sure. And so I didn't have to go run around asking people how did I do. Uh, I became it, it became a way to help drive myself, which was a, a gift he gave me sure. uh, early in life, which was cool. So back, and back then, you know, there, there's I used to wrestle North Chicago, and I played football against you guys too. But I was I was. Uh, and what high uh, school did you go to? I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. North Chicago. He went to North Chicago. Okay, yeah. gotcha. So right. Grant, we we I don't know if we played your, in football that. No, we would have we would have whooped you. You probably would. <laughs> well, I was only a freshman sophomore year, Grant, but we yeah. wrestled you guys too, and and uh, and, and you, this this is a mostly black school, right? That's pretty cool. In my in the suburbs where I'm from, right? There'd be a, there'd be a, a you know some minorities you know black kids on the team here or there, lo uh, lots of Hispanic kids uh -huh. on the team, but 
but not very often was it all black except North Chicago, and, and that was about the only school. Waukegan kind of. Waukegan maybe bit. a little yeah. bit, right? Yeah. But, uh, and how was that? Did you did you feel different, like an odd man out or anything ever, or what? That's where I grew up. These were my brothers, man. I, I lived, you know, I grew up on Argonne Drive, and, and we played ball together. These guys were... I didn't know it was any different, you know, I, awesome. until, until I actually went, you know, got on a bus and went to play another high school at another place. And I'm like, wait a minute, it's usually the other way around. And I'm like, <laughs> and uh, so I, I got kind of, I reputation people that, you know, the people knew I was the other white guy in North Chicago. And, um, but, but it was, but I was a team captain. Um, me and Bobby Brown were, were captains and this freshman, I have a picture here for the, the audience who can't see it, but I'm literally, I'm the, I'm the only white guy on the team. It's my freshman <laughs> high school football picture we were nine and oh we won conference mm, you know awesome. there's eight, 18 of us on the team so if there's 18 of us on the team you think about it you're playing we're all lot, everybody's playing both ways yeah. everyone is good so we're all playing both ways and we beat libertyville lake forest mundelein stevenson we kicked all their butts wow. 18 of us awesome. every kid on our team was good enough to play in college without a doubt really every one of them Unreal. and i have this picture and actually have it framed in my office and at home uh, because that picture is a reminder. It's really what what had given me passion about NCSA. Is like, what if every kid, kid could at, at North Chicago on this nine and zero team had the assistance that I had and and had a chance to go play in college? Mm -hmm. What if we had eighteen kids go play sports on scholarships, and those kids came back to the community mm -hmm. and started to mentor and and teach other kids how to get good grades and and what they need to do on and off the field and how they need to conduct themselves. And now it becomes, instead of the, I was the only kid to get a scholarship from that whole team. Wow. And I look at this, is, is I take it really personally because I know uh, today some of those kids are no longer with us. Some are in jail. Aww. And I know if I would have been there at this time with NCSA, we could have made a difference in that community. Sure. So, so this this thing is more than just helping a, some kids go to college. This is really about, this can change communities mm -hmm. when it becomes the expectation that you go to college rather than uh, the you know the outlier that got to go to college. How about even beyond that, Chris, the entrepreneurship uh, mentality you created after college by, by trying to solve this problem, mm -hmm. right? You tried to solve a problem, you did solve a problem, you created opportunity that's crazy with right. all the employ, em, employment you, you create besides all the scholarships you create. Yeah. So think about what you did because of, and we're going to get into this next, right? What you did because of this 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 problem you wanted to solve, and think about if 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 you could go back to all those kids and say, hey, the same work ethic you have here that that can that can put you into a college somewhere, can put you into entrepreneurship, a business, and solving problems someday, man. Let's do it together, right? Right. right. If you knew that back then, right? Wouldn't that yeah. be amazing, like you're saying? Yeah, it would have been incredible. And 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 to know, I mean, I was there was probably three or four guys on that team that if I had their athletic ability, I would have been playing on Sundays for sure. I mean, it was really, I mean, we had some talent on that team. One of the guys was, a, I mean, state champion in a, in a hundred meters. I mean, these, and by the, but, you had some but, good wrestlers too, but, because you're the same age and, and we yeah. wrestled, wrestled our show. They had great well, team. Wrestling well, the, teams. The, the, the thing that really was disappointing was that we through attrition by the time we were nine and zero freshman year, seven and two sophomore year. And by the time some sophomore year to junior year between you know, drugs and grades and kids getting kicked out of school. We lost three or four of our really top guys, mm -hmm. and we went four and five my junior and senior year. Wow. So we had this talent 
abundant. And then all of a sudden, God. the attrition, you know, we went to being a great team to an average team. And we literally, we one, one of our guys was, you know, drunk and high. Well, he got kicked out of a game because the referee smelled alcohol in our yeah. huddle. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, literally, these guys were showing up. I'm like, what's going on here? Yeah. These guys are starting running back. And, these, you know, so these guys, you know, and it, and it, and it came down to having, you know, the kind of support at home. Uh, support with their family, support in the community. Culture of the uh, community. The culture of the community right? is like, you know, one, one of the guys, dads, I knew, you know, he sold drugs and it was, oh. it was just, just tough. And then it was, uh, you know, coming back to North Chicago afterwards, I you know, really made it a mission of mine to, to try to give back and make sure everybody had a chance to get the kind of services they need in terms of exposure and guidance to, 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 to get through the process and, and, and find a good fit at the collegiate level. So. Well, so let's let's talk about this then. We'll talk about your you got into college, your college yeah. career at Vanderbilt. You know a little bit about that and what uh, what uh, got you thinking more about this college. Well, well yeah, that's uh, opportunity. The, the whole recruiting process at the time, I you know everyone would you say if they're good enough, they'll find you. Mm -hmm. uh, and if uh, you know, and and your high school coach handles the recruitment. So mm -hmm. so I kind of was going along with my athletic director. He said, "Oh yeah, Wisconsin wants you. They're going to keep because he went to Wisconsin." So I figured I was going to be a Badger, <laughs> right? So then I started getting all these letters my junior year. Uh, from all over the country, and I got letters from almost every Big Ten school except Wisconsin. I'm like, that's kind of odd. And then I kind of waited till you know, I kind of figured my coach was handling everything. And I, and by the time my senior year came around, I I was reading in the newspaper about these kids who are getting offers and they're taking visits to campuses. I'm like, how come I'm not getting offers? And mm -hmm. how come I'm not taking these visits? And I I went. And, Pulled the old letters out. They said, "Well, you know, dear Chris, you're you've been recommended as a you know a top-notch student athlete, and if you have any if you have an interest in Michigan, fill out this questionnaire and uh, send it back to us, and we'll put you in the recruiting system. And if you have any other questions, call me here at this phone number, Bo Schembechler. You know, I, wow. so I got all these letters, and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm, and I, I didn't. I said, wait a minute, I didn't fill it. I thought my coach was doing all this, so I started immediately." It was late in my senior year. I started calling up the coaches. Wow. I said, I, so I became my first client, really. Uh, I huh. had to market myself. Like everyone said I was going to get a scholarship because I was, I was, you know, the top, you know, number five, fifth in my class academically. And I was an honorable mention all state and all conference, all county, all that good stuff. Um, and, and I had a, 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 luckily we had enough video footage on me at the time where I was able to, you know, call the coaches and they said, hey, uh, if you're interested, we need to see some tape on you. So my dad and I went and bought, uh, got rented two VCRs and we got the video footage. I made a little highlight tape <laughs> and I started, I made like eight of them and we sent them out. And next thing I know, I started getting airplane tickets back in the mail to go visit campuses, mm. which if I oh. wouldn't have done that. You know, I, I had never flown an airplane. My first airplane flight was to Nashville to go visit Vanderbilt University on a on a all expenses paid visit. So uh -huh. I'd never you know flown an airplane before. Uh -huh. So I started getting interest back, and in I uh, Northwestern, and uh, at, and actually I got uh, I got a, tickets to Colorado to go to the Air Force Academy, and I'm like, this is. He said, Dad, I'm going to Colorado, and he's like, he goes, well, Are you really seriously considering going to the Air Force? I'm like, No, but I want to go to Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he wouldn't let me go. So, I, <laughs> but to talk about integrity, I mean, it's like it's like you're not really going to consider it, not go. But I'm like, God, but I, you know, I'd love to. I've never been out west before, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, but but that experience was really the catalyst for me to say, Wow, this is this is a 
broken system. There is a uh-huh. college, good kids get passed up every day. And I, and I started reading, you know, I remember I, I'd save articles about these these athletes and I played in this all-state game and all these kids were going on at big, big 10 schools. But there were some kids that were really good that were going to D2 or D3 schools. And mm-hmm. I'm like, God, how come this kid's going to Miami and this guy is going to uh, North Central College? And I think the North, guy going to North Central College is just as good, if not better. Hmm. And I started seeing how college these coaches were, I think, missing the ball. And yeah. it was really a, a slip shot method where a lot of them, a lot of kids would look, get videos and they were going off of heights and weights versus what they were doing on the field. And mm-hmm. and I didn't understand the process. And, t- and then later afterwards, I'm like, God, this is something that moms and dads need to know. This happens freshman year in high school, sophomore year, because you need to get the grades, the core GPAs. You need to make sure you're setting goals. You need to be lifting weights. I didn't, we didn't have a, a free weights in our high school we had one of those universal things yeah. so wow. when they put That's how much you bench and i'm like oh i'm benching 500 pounds because i was in the machine thing i was like it's the whole rack you know it's 500 pounds they're like you know they're like who's benching 500 pounds you're like no we're, we're talking free weights i'm like oh i don't we don't I have don't free weights i don't know what that is <laughs> so actually you mean i don't pay for yeah. it <laughs> so i actually bought my buddy had had uh had a set of free weights so my junior year i actually i actually saved some money from caddy and i bought his free weights i put in my basement so i actually started lifting free weights on my own because i knew i had to get you know be mentioned you know 250 to 300 mm-hmm. pounds to even be considered to play linebacker so so how much could you how much could you bench then was you <laughs> my yeah i got i got to over 300 okay you know? yeah right. i got I got it up there and, and in college i got a little bit more but it was but yeah i had but at the time it was you know i you know i, I went from like 500 300 or 400 whatever on the machine to you know two 200 25 was like, oh my God, that's felt like, you know, it was, it was yeah. tough until you, it's a big difference lifting free weights in his machine rates. So yeah, that's awesome. But I uh, figured it out. So you, so when you uh, finally graduated from Vanderbilt, like how, how did the, the, not that the passion left, but what made the, the trigger, the pivot in your life to be like, okay, you know what, let me actually go ahead and, and start yeah. this thing. Cause I'm realizing it's needed, you know, like that transition on what, what well, job would you do? And what made you going to start in this? Well, I, did, I didn't even know there was an opportunity to do this. I, I just knew in the back of my mind, that was really kind of, I, I, I'd like, to, I wanted to get back to my high school. Every time I'd go back home, I'd go, I, I, I was assistant coaching. I was volunteer coaching at North Chicago and I was helping some of the local kids go through the process and, and just on, because I wanted to do that. And it was important to me and, and I knew there were kids that were good enough to play, so I helped a few kids go on. and And I was doing and really Van, my experience at Vanderbilt was awesome because I was in the um, the educational school, uh, and I majored in, in a, my major is called human development, and it was the first school to have a human development major, and it really was big on internships and practicum. So I was able to get an internship my junior year with a, a management consulting firm. And uh, and I I looked at you know this this human development thing is how where, where can I make the most money, and it was consulting. This is where consulting was big. So, sure. so I was able to go out and, and and met a guy in Nashville who had a management consulting company, and I was able to shadow him. So I was uh-huh. literally I would get on a helicopter with him. We'd fly to Murray, Ohio, and do management training in these factories. So I was watching this guy make a career working out of his home uh, as a management consultant. I'm like, what a cool way of making a living. Mm-hmm. These guys, you know. Makes his own schedule. He's yeah. getting paid lots of money. So we would go to you know to uh, Nissan and Honda, their factories there. We would go do training, and that was exciting. And he said, "Well, if you want to get another aspect, you should go look at sales consulting." 
and he introduced me to a guy named Mark Stout who had this Dynamics Incorporated, which he specialized in training in, in the car sales in the car industry. Okay. So we would go to the, these car dealerships, and, and I, I learned the pitch, and I was doing sales training for car salespeople. So between management training and car sales training, I was like, I was becoming this little ninja in terms of sales, <laughs> and I understood a prospecting. I was, you know, I'd go cold call dealerships, and and every time I go to a dealership, they'll say, "What are you? Who are you working for? And what are they paying you?" He goes, "Come work for us." I was getting offers of jobs left and right. <laughs> Because I was a go-getter, I didn't know any better, and and, uh, and I and I learned how to prospect at an early age mm-hmm. when we were doing this, and and so I had this this you know set of skills that I've learned, but I didn't have passion for you know the car dealerships, car industry. So I, I when I found a guy who was helping kids in Los Angeles after doing my internship, uh, in that was helping athletes go to college, I'm like, wow, this is something that I can get behind because. I used my story and I'm like, if, you know, everyone, mm-hmm. you know, told me I was going to get a scholarship, but until I marketed myself, it got me a you know $20,000 a year full room board books tuition scholarship and came out of, got into a college that, uh, I would frankly not have gotten into Equ- equivalent mm-hmm. to 50 or $60,000 a year today, 62, almost 65,000, 70,000 a year yeah. <laughs> to go to Vanderbilt, to go to Vanderbilt. Wow. Right now. Yeah. Um, so and it was about 20,000 then. And, and I had, and, and to get in, it's like the ninth hardest college in the United States to get into, you know, right just behind Harvard and, and a couple other schools. So equivalent to $250,000. Yeah. It's a quarter million dollar education, yeah. And the fact that I had sports on my resume, mm-hmm. to be able to put yourself in a school where I had, in, I had enough I mean, I had 128 valedictorians in my freshman class. So there was a lot of smart kids there. Yeah. So, but to be able to have uh, access to tutors and and counselors and people that helped me get through college and learn. I mean, I had, I was you know, I took a, a, a class. This guy Terry Deal did on corporate culture. So I was learning about corporate cultures, small group behavior. We had some computer uh, uh, classes, and there were some marketing uh, classes we took. I mean, I I, I took a pre med pre-med tract initially and after uh barely getting through chemistry 102 a and b and in uh in uh biology i was like realized i wasn't going to become a doctor <laughs> so so i focused on uh, this human development path which was really cool because i was able to get some practical experience on and build a resume and have job offers before i graduated you know cool. you know you said something that i think not and it's definitely not you know transitioning off but I, I feel like um from an entrepreneur perspective you just said some some huge things one the human uh understanding human behavior is extremely extremely important but you just said you know you had a lot of you you training people how to sell cars you never sold a car before you was really good with managing and i think for any entrepreneur who's starting a business they're one thing they're trying to get really good at is sales so if you were, you know, talking to them out there, us people out here that are trying to start a business or get a business going, what would probably be some things that we should be applying in order to get really good at the, some, some selling things, you know, from that perspective that you did back then that you feel still work today? Well, one of the, the interesting things that I didn't know going into sales training was sales is sales. Everything is, in life is sales. You're constantly selling yourself no matter what you're doing. If you're, you're, you're selling uh, yourself to your, your, to your kids on, on, on what they should be doing, the right things the right way. Uh, you're selling yourself to your spouse on on why she should be with you. <laughs> uh, you're selling your your, your employees or, or your boss as to why you're doing a good job. Uh, you're, you're a teacher. You're selling uh, uh, how to uh, to understand math or or science. So when I learned sales in the car industry, I, I understood. I realized that sales 
is it crosses into every industry. Mm -hmm. You're constantly selling, whether you're selling houses, cars, uh, computer software, uh, you're selling for pharmaceutical companies. If you know sales, it's simple. It's want, it's need, it's benefits, and it's close. That's the simple thing. You, you got to want something. You got to need something. If there's no want and need, there's no need Doesn't to matter. go on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> want, need, benefits, and close. And then there's lots Absolutely. of different formulas. But if you understand that, it really becomes... You know, there, there's different models. You got to approach, interview, demonstrate, validate, negotiate, close. Uh, the idea is, it's, it's sales is about trust, and sales is about education. If they don't trust from you, they'll never buy from you. Right. So once you start learning uh, that if you can get someone to trust from you and believe you, then you get a chance to have someone buy from you. But if you, no one's ever going to buy from you if they don't buy you. Sure. And understanding that early was was transformative and helpful as I've trained you know, hundreds and hundreds of our scouts and do what we do today. But to go and teach people, it's, it's not about the sale. It's about the relationship. Yeah. And if you build a relationship, you build the career uh, versus anyone can make a sale. But if the sale is not a mute, if there's not a win-win on a sale, you're going to be out of business. Soon. Right. Well, and, and when I look at, Chris, when I look at your sales acumen, I, I believe it's derived from the passion. Number one, you're a smart guy and you, and, and you understand all the components of a sale but also the passion you have because you saw the need, you felt the need, you were in the middle of the need at one point in your life, right? So you just knew it was there. You knew there was a, there, you knew there was a problem to solve and you had the solution, right? So you're so, so focused on that. And, and, then, and then in selling, like you said, trust. People, when they heard your story, they knew your story, they trust right. you pretty, they tr you trust you fast. Number one, you're a great guy. If anybody meets you and loves you, know, knows you and loves you. So, so the trust is easy for you to get, get a hold of, right? But then... To sell the vision is a big thing because, you know, you can, you can passionately believe in a vision like I do often. And, and, but if the, your team doesn't, doesn't, they may trust you, but they might not believe in your vision. Right. So for you to create the clear vision you had to create to have all these people follow you, right, right. It was, is really cool. Can you well, that, talk about that, how, how you did that well, if you could? Well, the when, it was really interesting because I started out, right, you know, 1990, I, I had a, a little franchise. So we, this was kind of a... Uh, a cottage industry. It was really, it was a lifestyle industry. I, I could help, I would get up and, and go to a high school, meet coaches in, in North Chicago and Waukegan, Libertyville and Zion. And, and I would get leads. Coaches would say, hey, these are the kids that are good enough to play. I'd call moms and dads up and I'd set my So can I, can I say something? You, so you came back home after college? After college. You live in Chicago or living in the, I, I lived in the North in, suburbs? I, I, well, I, I lived in Chicago and I would drive up to the North suburbs. Okay. Actually, my buddy of mine, my teammate of mine, he was working in, in uh, he had a, a car wash, his dad had a car wash business. So Andy Baker in, uh, and I got our first apartment here in Chicago over on, uh, on uh, Lakeshore and Irving Park okay. overlooking uh, Wrigley Field. And I would drive, I would get up and I'd, I'd drive it, go to North Chicago, I'd go coach, and then I would go and do meetings with families. And I would go, I, I basically made my own little service up where I would, uh, we would, we would uh, build a res, we'd go to meet a family. I would tell them how this whole thing works. They would hire me for about $328, I think we charged. Mm -hmm. And I would make a resume on them and build this resume, and I'd send it to uh, the home office, which was in Ohio. And we would, make Kinko's copies and send them out to colleges. And we'd market kids with just the old-fashioned way, send it through the snail mail, and, and the kids would then get letters from colleges, and we'd coach them up on how to handle the process then. And it wasn't scalable at all. And for and for about five or seven years, I would do that. I'd, I'd enroll about, you know, 
25, 30 kids a month. And that was kind of, you know, I, I worked with maybe two, 300 kids a year is what all my capacity was at that yeah. time. But one thing I learned about the business was that it was a shame. There were a lot of kids, the kids that could afford the services and there were kids that couldn't afford the services. So mm -hmm. I spent most of my time in the, in the more wealthy suburbs enrolling kids and tennis and golf and swimming and, and football and basketball, and baseball. But then but I would also go back to North Chicago and find ways to help the kids that, you know, I'd take some of the earnings that we would get from the families in the, in the wealthier communities. And I would be able to go and do um, free things and, and basically whatever family could afford, I'd help them out in North Chicago. So there was mm -hmm. a big challenge in the industry. It was like, if these colleges are just getting resumes from, from, you know, you know, rich, wealthy suburbia families, they're not really getting the best athletes. No. What college coaches are going to really think this is a viable service? You need to have the real athletes on here. So part of our vision was always to – part of my vision was we got to be able to find a way to get the best kids on no matter what. Because mm -hmm. if you get the best kids on, the colleges will come. Yep. And if the colleges come, the other families come. So it really it, was, it became this flywheel that you had – it was fueled by getting the best kids on no matter what. So so part of my challenge was I knew this, this industry was – would not be successful until there was a mechanism to get in kids that really inner city kids, the kids that the colleges want to have and need to have mm -hmm. because they, because the best kids weren't all going to the rich no. schools. Uh, so we able, I was able to start to kind of put a, a process in place like that, but no one was buying it. No one, no one, no one thought it was doable. And it, it was about that time when, you know, the internet started coming up and I started looking at emails and I started putting wind faxes together. So instead of putting together a, a resume and send out 400 pieces of paper, I could hit click a button and, and send out 400 kids overnight through a fax machine. And I was doing this on my own because my kids needed help. And the franchise business, they weren't, you know, I said, we got to buy a computer. We got to get a website. And they're like, oh, no, who's going to read emails? What they would say. I'm like, <laughs> I, I think they'll look at it, you know, because I was getting calls from coaches or were recruiting my kids that I was doing on my own to help them. And at that point, I'm like, there's got to be a better way. So, so you're I, saying back then, I think this email thing may work. It may someday. work out. It may work. <laughs> it might work out. So I start. so I, I, I quit the franchise business and I started my own company at that point. And I knew this was a way to do it. I knew if I could go out and, and enroll, you know, my goal was to get it to 1.5 million in five years. That was my vision. And how big was the fran franchise company you're working for at the time? There was, <laughs> there was maybe, you know, I, I was selling franchises and teaching franchises how to do this, but it was like almost becoming obsolete. I was, wow. there was probably, they were working with maybe, a, a, you know, a couple hundred kids a month. And so, I was and I was ten percent of their their business. So a couple so, million dollar year business, maybe all together. Probably that was. And probably. are they still around? You know what? The they're, they're kind of still around. The guy who's running it, they're actually doing some work overseas with some kids and in, actually in in, uh, in South America. And I just met with the guy who he's actually trying to find a way to to team up with us. Uh, they're they're which is a great guy. They're good people that run it, but they weren't they weren't visionary and they didn't leverage technology at mm -hmm. all. And the the thing that really drove this thing became education. Uh, I started to, uh, went from the model of me just going house to house to, uh, we would go to high schools and do an educational seminar. Yeah. And all of a sudden the whole school would show up and next year, you know, we'd have, you know, 50, 60 leads and we'd enroll 40 families in a weekend. And we started wow. doing that model. And then awesome. so by driving education, then we started hiring more ed educators. And, and that's, so to get it to 1.5 million in five years was the goal. We did it in 18 months. Wow. 
And I'm like, okay, so I was literally sitting there running, I made my own QuickBooks program and I'm running credit cards and I had these other scouts who I had hired and trained with the other companies after I started my own thing. They're like, what are you doing, Chris? We, we, we wanna come with you. So I already knew the top four or five guys that I hired and trained with the other companies and they came and joined me. Uh, and, it, and, it, and actually a few of them are still with us today. Oh, you know, that's almost awesome. 20, almost 20 years later. Um, and these guys were the kind of the, we were the pioneers. We said, let's do this. And we started getting these leads from these uh, recruiting educational talks we were doing. And mm -hmm. uh, we went from 1.5 to, to 3 million to seven. And then after we got to 1.5, I'm like, all right, we already at our five-year goal. What do we do next? And then I said, I started needing some help. And then that's where I, I joined EO, I think it was around then, and met Gary. And we, I wasn't quite ready to get into YPO. We weren't big Yeah, I think you were like time. seven seven or eight million bucks in revenues. And, my, and I'm and saying, you're, man, you're going to get there. I can't wait to you – know, I want you in YPO. I want, want you in my forum. Yeah, I want you in my forum. I want this guy in my forum. And, I, and you're not supposed to recruit people yeah. in my forum. And I yeah. did. I was actually a forum – maybe I was a forum chair then or yeah. shortly after that. But Yeah, you, yeah, you, you, you screened but, me. You, you blocked for me and got me right in uh, that's right but it's, oh. it's funny because I, I i'll never forget the day i met you and uh you know we were at an eo ypo event and i i happened to sit next to chris and we just couldn't i couldn't shut up talking and asking more questions to understand who he was because it's it was so much fun to get to know him and uh and by the end of the thing, there's a YPO meeting after. I said, "Come on, the YPO meeting." Well, I'm not YPO, I'm EO. Well, I, I, come anyway. So I went. I went. I went to the guys who are running the meeting. I said, "I got. I got this, this guy, the next YPO here. It's with me. This guy's an all star, right?" And uh, and they go, "We don't have any room. We're, it's filled." I said, "No, you got to find room for this guy. This guy. This guy's going to be an all star. He's an all star, right?" Anyway, so sure enough, oh, all right, Ray Bynes. So sure enough, he came to right. But but uh, shortly after, it wasn't long after before you hit the numbers, and it was a ten million dollar minimum in your business. And oh, okay. Really shortly after that, with months or a year maybe yeah. chris was there so he was in yeah like, yes chris is in <laughs> and sure enough but 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 even back then you heard you could, you could hear chris's vision and his 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 uh succinct execution plan on how he was going to get to to 10 million then 20 million then 50 million and 100 million and i'm looking i'm thinking come on man this mar there's no market cap how can you think you're going to get to these numbers they, I'm going to build this thing. I'm going to build That's a market right. cap. It's, it's a new market cap. I'm building it, right? right. <laughs> and, which is awesome, right? Have you Hard seen, to find. Have you seen the movie Founder? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I really yeah. I really feel that's exactly who you cuz you just said it the guy who you partnered with initially not that like like the two brothers right, right? they they had a business but but Ray Kroc had a vision right. that's the exact same thing yeah. mm -hmm. for you to say like you was like yeah I was at the high school and I was talking to everybody and I could just see Ray Kroc just talking to these people <laughs> right. like yeah. yeah so you did all of the exact same stuff and and uh, and what well, obviously, what Ray Kroc was trying to do was create continuity, and it seems like you right. already got it with you and your five guys. Right? How did you create continuity in a business like that? Well, in a, in a place that yeah. has no market share, you know, like how did you? Because continuity well, is huge. Well, the the big transformative piece came after we got to like one one point five million, and I actually hired a consultant. I'm like, how do I, you know, the wheel? How do I keep the wheels on this thing? This yeah. thing's growing really fast. Extremely. And and. And it was about to, you know, it was like, how do I manage this growth? And, and then how do we scale it and keep it going? And I started doing my homework and really became, my MBA became, a, you know, finding out who's done things like this before. And I, I actually had a chance to meet with uh, a good buddy of mine who, through some friends, he actually worked for uh, with uh, Jimmy John's dad, a guy mm -hmm. named Doug Mealy. Yeah, with, sure. With, and Doug was a buddy who was accustomed to helping scale businesses. He helped Jimmy John scale his business. He's been instrumental in a few businesses. And I, I, and I was just buddies, just hanging out buddies with him. And I came and I took him to one of our events. 
and I showed him, you know, at the end we'd do the uh, call to action and we'd, how we'd get the leads and immediately his eyes lit up and he goes, you, this is, this is, you got something here. And so he became my, my first kind of board member and uh, mm -hmm. he was really helpful. And, and one of the things he suggested was to, to help, you know, we needed to get a vision together and where is this thing going to be in, in 10 years? So uh, I hired a, a company, um, called EntreQuest out of Baltimore and I and they really helped coach me and I put together what's called what was a big part of our business in 2002 um, we built a 2012 plan a 10-year plan as to how to get to 50 million dollars mm -hmm. and and I spent months on it and I wrote you know in detail what it would take in terms of our relationships and how many employees we'd have and what would be the revenue in 2013 and what would be the revenue in 2014 and how many and I would always equate revenue with how many lives we would change how many kids could we help how many you know the, our culture became helping kids empowering leaders through sports that's my you know I, my term at leadership is mm -hmm. what I what I come up with and it's how do we help empower leaders through sports how do I hire kids who played sports in college all of us have played sports in college now you know we have pretty much about 600 former college athletes in this building that are helping do this, run the show now, but, but really creating the mold of who's going to do it, how we're going to do it, what's going to be our give back, how many kids we're going to help and how many kids we're going to sponsor through our leadership grant program where, where kids, if they can't afford it, they'll get on at a reduced cost or they'll get scholarship onto the program. So we could create this culture of giving and making sure we're empowering all these leaders. Tune in next week for part two of our amazing interview. See you then and keep on digging. If you enjoy this show, please share with anyone else you think will find value here. And please go to our website, ditchdiggerceo.com, for show notes, links, video clips, and more nuggets of entrepreneurial wisdom. Don't forget to follow me on social media at ditchdiggerceo and at Gary Rabine. If you listen to our show and want to become more successful, you will become more successful. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. I can Discovered entrepreneurship Scaling business plans Then I became the CEO man We're blessed to build a business in America Where soldiers fight for our freedom every day Dad's work ethic was taught from the seed of a Gravel truck rolling down Highway 31. Lord, I was called Ditch Digger Man, aiming for a living and doing the best I can. Discovered entrepreneurship, scaling business plans, then I became the CEO man.